Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles and open up to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and I'll read verses 5 through 9 for us now as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone as he helps us continue in our summer series titled The Lord Tests. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. I sat with a man whose wife had just been killed in a car accident. I told him that I could just sit there silently with him and hopefully be a a reminder of God's gentle presence in that painful moment. I said I was happy to do that. But if if he did want to say anything, if he did have anything stuck on his heart that he just needed to move out through his mouth, that I would also be happy to listen. And after a few minutes of silence, he looked up and said, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive the man who killed my wife. And if we are honest, we've all uttered that phrase either out loud or in our hearts. I can't forgive him or I can't forgive her. What happened was just too painful. That person was just too negligent. The sin was too dark and the consequences were too great. I can't forgive him. The Apostle Paul who wrote 2 Corinthians, he understands. He struggled with those words too. Let me tell you about the story of forgiveness in Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth. Look at verse one with me. He writes, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit. You see, What happened is Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, Paul tells this church that they are too divisive, that they are being divided over which teacher they are going to follow, and that the divisions present in their church do not honor the one true God who lives in glorious unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He rebukes them for tolerating sexual immorality, any sexual relationship outside of the marital union between one man and one woman for life. And there is a man in their congregation who has taken his father's wife and is intimate with her. And he rebukes this immoral conduct. He tells them that as they take each other to court, 
that they've already lost. It's part of the divisive spirit of this congregation. They're, they're suing one another in secular court. He says, as you walk into that courtroom, trust me, you have already lost. Because bringing each other to court shows your lack of understanding of the good news about Jesus Christ. And he also criticizes them for their chaotic and disorderly worship. It's a difficult letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians. Paul returns to this community. And again, I'll try to piece the story together here. But what we can tell is Paul is hurt at this visit. That's why he says, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. It appears that as Paul visited the church, that someone stood up in the midst of the meeting and had maybe what we would call today a how dare you moment. How dare you talk to us like that, Paul, moment. And as those moments go, it appears that it got out of control. And the criticism of Paul started to fly, particularly saying, Paul, you're not a real apostle. You suffer too much to be an apostle, Paul. You're too sick, Paul. You suffer from too many physical ailments to be an apostle, Paul. By the way, Paul, you're not good-looking enough to be an apostle, and you are not a good enough speaker to be an apostle. Apparently, it got nasty. And apparently, the Corinthian church that Paul loved and served as the founding pastor for this community, did not stand up to this man. And Paul is hurt. And so what he does is he writes a letter. He sends it with Titus. That's in verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears... This letter is often called the severe letter, the painful letter, or the letter of tears. Paul writes to them, sends it with Titus, and Paul is so anxious about their reaction, he even stops preaching in Troas. This is in verse 12, right after the, what Christine read for us. For I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest. My spirit's not at rest, why? Because of this painful situation between me and the Corinthian church and I'm eagerly waiting to receive Titus back and I don't know what happened. So he leaves, he leaves Troas and goes to Macedonia in Macedonia, he realized, we read that his uh, anxiety is not unfounded. That initially the painful letter or the letter of tears is misunderstood by the Corinthians and they are hurt. You can read about this in chapter 7, verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you though only for a while. Paul is desperately concerned that the Corinthians are now thinking, we can't forgive Paul. Look at verse, chapter 7, verse 5. 
For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Paul's afraid of what is going on in his relationship with the church at Corinth. Are they now saying we can't forgive Paul? Eventually, Titus does return and reports that though the letter caused significant pain, the Corinthians do long for a restored relationship. That's chapter 7, verse 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced still more. And so Paul learns that the Corinthians do want to restore their relationship with him. It's a painful situation. You see it back and forth, crisscrossing all throughout the letter of 2 Corinthians. And there is one question that remains as Paul and the Corinthians affirm their love for each other. One question is still outstanding. What do we do with the man who started the conflict? What do we do with the man who initiated this painful relational Strife. What do we do with him? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul teaches the forgiven forgive, and the repentant must be reconciled. That's what Paul says we are to do with this man. The forgiven forgive, and the repentant must be reconciled. Reconciled. Paul calls this a, a great test. I've labeled it the test of forgiveness. It's the test of will we be obedient in everything? Will the forgiven forgive? And when someone repents, will we, the forgiven, ensure that the repentant are reconciled? And I'll just say when it comes to this question, this particular test, the stakes could not be higher. I want to read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 15. Part of this is the Lord's Prayer, and part of this is what follows the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 11 through 15. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I hope we can all take a mental note here. That the requirement that we forgive... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors is the only aspect of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus comments on. Every other part of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and us, every other part of that prayer Jesus assumed, at least in his mind, 
that it was explanatory enough we could figure it out on our own. It didn't require additional comment from him. There's one part of the prayer Jesus says, I have to tell them exactly what this means because human nature is deceitful and the stakes are too high. And so he says, for if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Just to be clear, Jesus wants to say, Because if we fail to forgive others their sins against us, Jesus is saying, you are displaying the fact that you don't understand how much you've been forgiven. You don't understand the costliness of grace. The the first part of the good news of the gospel. You are more sinful than you ever dared imagine. And yet you are more loved than you ever dared hope. And it cost the life of the one and only Son of God to purchase your forgiveness. When you don't forgive others, you betray your lack of knowledge of your own forgiveness. So if the forgiven forgive, and this is not optional, but as Paul says, it is a test to see that we are obedient in everything, I believe we need to know precisely what forgiveness means and precisely what forgiveness does not mean. Because I think many disciples hold back forgiveness because they imagine forgiveness means something that God's word never teaches that it means. And they're afraid that they're going to have to walk into something that God's word says, that's not actually what I'm asking you to do. And so I want to look at what what forgiveness does not mean, and then we'll look at what forgiveness means. First, forgiveness does not mean you haven't been hurt. Look at verse 5 of our passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. For if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it, not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. Paul says, there has been pain rippling throughout the entire Corinthian church community. This man and his actions have just torn this community apart. The pain is real. And the fact that forgiveness is required doesn't, it isn't meant to diminish your pain. The fact that God requires us to forgive honors the fact that you have actually been wronged. Injustice is your reality. Your pain matters. Remember verse four For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart. Paul was hurt. Forgiveness does not mean you haven't been hurt. Second, forgiveness does not mean there are no consequences. Look at verse 6 of our passage. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. 
This man who caused the pain in the Corinthian community, he has been punished. Likely he has been separated out from the Corinthian community and has been forced to endure life apart from the joy and goodness and fellowship of God's people in the church. There were real consequences for his action. And just because we forgive someone does not mean we are able to diminish the consequences that they have to face for their actions. Forgiveness does not mean that, the, that there are no hard conversations or that the conversations are easy. Forgiveness does not mean that you're about to have an easy conversation with someone. Sometimes people come to me and go, if I was to forgive them and actually end up having a, a conversation about what it is that I'm forgiving, that would just be too hard, too painful. Well, forgiveness doesn't mean that they're, all the conversations are easy. Again, I come back to Paul's words in the letter, describing the letter that he wrote. Just hear it one more time. Much affliction, anguish of heart, and with many tears, many tears. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the conversations are going to be easy. So what does forgiveness mean then? Forgiveness means release. It's the clearest biblical definition that I can give you. Forgiveness means release. That the word to set something free, to release, the word for liberty in the Bible is the same word as the word forgiveness. I'll show you this in the Gospel of Luke Chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, and Luke is recording Jesus' words in the Greek language, and he says this He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That word liberty, I've underlined it, is the same word in Greek as. Forgiveness. It could just as easily be translated. He sent me to proclaim forgiveness to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to forgive those who are oppressed. You see, forgiveness means you release all claims of repayment or redress. You release your claim of repayment no longer do you demand that they pay you back for what they rightly owe you. See, justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is when someone gets less than what they deserve. And grace is giving someone a gift they do not deserve. That justice would be for you to be repaid Mercy would be for, okay, you don't have to repay me everything, but I need this back from you. 
But forgiveness is a complete release. It's a gift of grace that the person does not deserve. So what does this look like in practice? How, if you're struggling with forgiveness this morning, if you're struggling to release, release someone, release your, your, your claim of repayment or redress, how would you know if you are releasing that person? Well, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 2 Corinthians, also wrote the book of Ephesians, and I believe he gives us some great principles there in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 to 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What does releasing someone look like? It looks like you no longer holding bitterness over them. It looks like your brain not swelling with wrath and anger every time you think about them. It looks like your emotions no longer clamor. No longer clamor when you think about them. It looks like slander about them and their character and what they did is no longer on your lips. And it looks like malice is gone too. That you now start wishing for good things to happen in their life. For God to be merciful toward them. It looks like kindness and a tender heart for them. This is tough. It was tough for Paul. It was tough for the Corinthians. This is why Paul adds, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I call this release and replace. Release wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice, and replace it with kindness and tenderheartedness, forgiving them as God in Christ forgave you. The forgiven forgive. It's a chief characteristic of the forgiven, of all who have been forgiven in Christ. The forgiven forgive. And the repentant must be reconciled. You see, often people equate or conflate forgiveness and reconciliation. The Bible teaches that these are two different things. The Bible teaches forgiveness is unconditional. It is your obedient in everything response to God in Christ forgiving you. Reconciliation is reserved for those who have repented of their wrongdoing. And I think people conflating forgiveness and reconciliation often prevents people from forgiving. They think, I can't forgive that person because I, I'm no longer, I can't be in relationship with them anymore. And so 
them conflating forgiveness and reconciliation actually prevents the forgiveness from happening. But the Bible teaches these are two different things. Why? Well, reconciliation apart from repentance exposes the person who has been hurt to further injury. And it keeps the person who perpetrated the hurt from understanding what led them to behave in such a damaging way. Reconciliation apart from repentance also often will keep that person from seeking forgiveness. It will keep them from repenting, which is what all sin and every sinner needs. Biblically, repentance precedes reconciliation. And in light of this confusion, I want to be crystal clear this morning. What repentance does not mean and what repentance does mean. What repentance does not mean is regret. So often people that perpetrate a wrong, they have feelings of regret. Repentance and regret are not the same thing. Look at verse 7 of our passage. So you should rather turn and f- turn to forgive and comfort him, or he, he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. That word overwhelmed in the Greek in which Paul is writing, it literally means to be swallowed up. That this is not someone who has some passing feelings of regret. This is someone who is so repentant, is so deeply understanding of the wounds that they have caused, the hurt that they have perpetrated on this community. They are being swallowed up in their sorrow because of what happened. Repentance does not mean you regain control. That the reconciliation process must take place at the pace of the person that you, or the group, that you have hurt. Sadly, I have seen people abuse uh, verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. They'll say to me something like, I am the man who is overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. You must let me back into your life. And while it's true, if they are truly repentant, and we'll look at what that is, that reconciliation should take place doesn't mean the relationship can always look the same. But you don't get to be in control of that process. The repentant release their need to be in control of that process. Notice who's saying the man may be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. The man himself is not saying that. The Apostle Paul is advocating on the man's behalf. The man is not advocating for himself. Often you can let someone else do that for you. What does repentance mean? Repentance means a changed mind that leads to a changed life. That's how you know when someone is truly repentant. That not only have they changed their mind about the action that hurt you or the group, 
They have changed their life to ensure that that never happens again. We get this definition of repentance in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, where John the Baptist says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Repentance is not a one-time behavior. That's why repentance and regret are completely different things. We bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And what do we know about fruit? It takes time to grow. This is why the repentance should not force a particular timeline on the aggravated group. If you have sinned against someone, repent. Then let the fruit of your repentance speak for you. It's your time to be quiet and just let the fruit of your repentance speak for you. Exodus 14, 14 says, be silent. The Lord will fight for you. Be silent. An apostle Paul will come alongside and advocate on your behalf. Let the fruit of your repentance speak for you. And if someone does repent and you see the fruit of repentance in their life, hear the words of the Apostle Paul in verse eight. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. If you've been sinned against and you've forgiven, which is required, and you see the fruit of repentance, hear those words. I beg you, Paul says, reaffirm your love for him. You see, just as great of a scandal as it is to ignore the seriousness of sin, it's just as great of a scandal to withhold forgiveness or refuse reconciliation with the repentant. The forgiven forgive. And the repentant must be reconciled. To, be, to do anything less, Paul says in verse 11, is to be outwitted by Satan. A man named David Garland said this, Satan's realm is one where immorality, the thirst for revenge, ruthlessness, heartlessness, and deadly rancor hold sway. Those who are in Christ have received God's free pardon and they are transferred into a realm where faith, hope, love, and tender mercies rule. Satan is powerless before a united community filled with love and humble forgiveness. The forgiven forgive, and the repentant must be reconciled. And this test of forgiveness is critical in Every disciple's life, Paul writes that you might be obedient in everything, he says. So we need a tool for testing. This is a tough one. And so what, does, what tool does the apostle Paul give us for this test? The tool is the face of Christ. The face of Christ. My daughter Sophia got her learner's permit recently. You can pray for me. 
She got it back in July, and I hadn't given her any driving lessons. And my second daughter, Olivia, started accusing me of, of delaying this process too much. She said, Dad, you have to do it. You have to teach her how to drive. So this week, I said, Sophia, I'm free on Thursday night. Let's find the biggest parking lot in Williamsburg, and I'll teach you how to drive right here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel. So we came to this big old parking lot, and we started right down on the east side of the building, and we started going down the east side of the building. And as she's driving down the east side of the building, she keeps looking at me. I said, look at the road, look at the road. We're coming around the, the tree in the back left corner of the parking lot. She's, she's taking her first turn around the tree, and she's, she's turning the wheel and looking at me. I said, the road, Sophia, the road. We're coming down the back of the parking lot. There's a lamppost right at Campbell Trail leading out to Jamestown High School. She is going straight for the lamppost, and she's looking at me. I said, the road, the road, Sophia, look at the road. I didn't let her drive home that night. But on the way home, I said, Sophia, why did you keep looking at me? I kept telling you, eyes on the road, and, and you, you kept looking at me. She said, Dad, I, I just wanted to see your reaction. I wanted to see if I was doing a good job or not. Dad, I wanted to see if you were proud of me. I wanted to see if you would encourage me to keep going, Dad. That's why I kept looking at you. The Apostle Paul teaches that what is a terrible strategy for learning how to drive a car is the best strategy for learning how to forgive. That he writes in verse 10, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. And that phrase, presence of Christ, is literally the phrase, the face of Christ. Paul says, if I've forgiven anything, I've done it while looking at the face of Christ. That's our tool. Stare at the face of Christ. Fix your eyes on him. Look at him hanging on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. As you consider forgiveness, look at the face of Christ. Look at the one who hung on the cross and had every right to say, I can't do it. It's just too painful. Do you know what this is costing me? Do you know the burden that I bear? Do you know the darkness that I feel? Do you know the separation from my father that is seeping into my bones right now? Look at the one who had every right to say, I won't do it. They don't deserve it. Look at him. Look at Jesus' reassuring nod. Look at his gentle nudge. Receive his forgiveness for your sins again. And with your eyes on Jesus, 
forgive. Release your brother, sister. Forgive your mom. Forgive your dad. Release your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter. Forgive your pastor. I fall short. Forgive your boss. Forgive your friend. And Jesus says, even forgive your enemy. Because the forgiven forgive and the repentant must be reconciled. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.